Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. What else does that mean for you when you say money is a tool? If I don't have it, it's not like, oh my God, I don't have this, I'm a bad person or I'm not worthy of something. It's literally like, okay, if you're trying, if you need to dig out of a hole and your shovel isn't there, you would kind of panic. It would be the, the normal thing. It doesn't yeah. mean like, oh my God, you aren't deserving of a shovel. It means like, <laughs> I need a shovel. <laughs> Where's my shovel? This is really hard to dig with my hands. How do yes. I get a shovel? Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question. How can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. So before we get started today, I wanted to share another review from Apple Podcast. It's so nice to have these reviews and your feedback on the podcast. And this review was titled So Needed. They said, loving this podcast so far, having real honest conversations about our money stories, what it means to work through our money stuff and how to use our money for our personal lives and our businesses as healers. Such a needed discussion. Can't wait to hear more. Thank you for your review, and whoever left that review, this episode is going to be right up your alley. Today's podcast guest is Kim Wheeler-Potvian. She is a therapist in Philadelphia. I'm not going to go into introducing her to too much because we actually start her interview with her talking about the wide range of work that she does. Our conversation today is kind of more of an interview than I think I've done before in terms of getting into Kim's transformation around money. She's a graduate of Money Skills for Therapists. We get into where she started, her money stories, the money legacies that she inherited from each of her parents. And then we talk about how that fear of having too much money, the fear of taking up space and being ambitious that I think so many therapists can relate to, was showing up in her relationship with money in these really specific behaviors. Along the way, we also get into systemic racism, and she makes some really 
insightful points about how scarcity and competition between therapists can actually be facets of systemic racism and systemic sexism. It's a really rich conversation. I so appreciate Kim's openness and honesty in sharing her story, and I hope you enjoy it. So Kim, tell me about yourself and your practice and what you do. So I um, am a child and teen therapist. Um, and I have a small, well now is actually a group practice that's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And my specialties are that I work with kids of color who are dealing with racial trauma and also kids who are dealing with uh, grief and loss. Mm-hmm. So and now that I've expanded, I've added on two new associates who are working with truancy, school refusal, and mother-daughter relationships. And I also have a, a huge population of transracial adoptees that I work with. And you do therapy and coaching, is that correct? Yes, I do. So along with my practice in male counseling consulting, I also own a a parent coaching firm, Ask a Mel. So there we do one-on-one coaching and we're also starting small cohorts of six-week parent coaching. Great. So Kim, I think it's fairly obvious to everybody listening that you are very ambitious and very (laughs) confident, but tell me about your relationship with money kind of like going back a year or two? Like, how did you know that something needed to change with your relationship to your finances? Let's see, about a year and a half ago, pre-COVID, well, I made the most money I'd ever made in my like solo practice. And I was like part-time, but I was like, I did really well. I was really proud of myself. And then I ended up paying like $600 in bank fees because I had mismanaged my money so poorly. So I was really ashamed and like really upset. And so I was in this Facebook group that I was in with other practice builders and they mentioned actually your program and they were like, you should do this. And I was like, okay, I should do, I should do this. This is the first time I actually am honest about like the struggles that I've had with money. And I knew that I could build a practice. Like I knew that I could get people in. I knew that I could be successful, Mm -hmm. but what is the point of working so hard when all of your money is just like kind of just flying out the door? So that was the time that I knew I really needed to get a handle on it. But I, from the beginning, I, since I was a teenager, like always has had this belief that I can't handle money. I'm going to mismanage money. I'm not going to be successful or someone else needs to manage my money for me. And do you have a sense, Kim, of like where that came from in your life? Family wise, like my mom did all the finances, but (laughs) she's like mismanaged money. And so my parents would just have these like arguments about you know, this and that. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize until I was older that it was really the fact that my mom just didn't manage the money well. Mm-hmm. And it was like part of the reason why, you know, we had struggles. And, and it wasn't until I was in my early 20s and she had passed away that my dad had kind of taken over things. And I was like, wow, there's like, there's money here. Right, right. This is amazing. There's less income, but like, there's more money. And I yeah. saw like a different way of managing it. But then I just said, okay, I'll just have my dad manage stuff. And that was okay when I was in grad school until like he passed away, like, you know, a year or two later. And then I was just like, I don't know what to do. Right. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like you inherited in some ways, like a story that was kind of about your mom's behavior. Is that yeah. A fair understanding. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I'm like, oh, I'm a shopaholic or I like to spend things or spend it before it goes, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, mm-hmm. even when it's there. So even it, the notion of me having money in my account 
if there was like, if it hit a certain amount, mm-hmm. I was like, this has to be spent. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it it yes. can't stay here. But if it was less than a certain amount or I knew, okay, I need this to last for this amount of time, then all the stuff that my dad taught me would pop up and I could manage things and I could know like how to prioritize things. But it was just this dichotomy. Uh, thinking of like, okay, it's either this or it's that, you yeah. know, but I was never in this like space of actually being able to apply the things that he was teaching me like consistently mm-hmm. so that I could have these things called budgets and <laughs> savings and, yes. you know, have plans, you know, and I would yeah. look around and be like, all these people are making these moves because they have some kind of stability or they have some kind of plan where it's, I'm like, the only way that I'm ever going to be successful is if I get like this windfall of money and I plop it into something and then it'll generate more. And so I'll just always have money to just like kind of spit out, you right. know? Yeah. And I think like for a lot of us, when we're struggling with money, there can be like that fantasy of like, if only, if only I had a bunch of money winning the lottery, right? There's that fantasy. Yeah. But I think something you pointed out is like so true, which is that when you have that behavior though, because it sounds like for you, there was like this number that above that number, it's like, in a way the money's got to go. Yeah. Right. Like you would spend above that. And like, there's, yeah, there's kind of this concept of the financial thermometer where it's like, what's the range that we're comfortable with. And it sounds like for you, there's like a range above this range. You do a certain thing below this range. You do the opposite thing. Yeah. And what was happening in the middle of those behaviors? I mean, in the middle, it was like, I was not spending anything. I was like, okay, there's like this, like this, this spot where I was like, I'm okay. Like as long as nothing comes out or as long as nothing touches, because I would look at my account and say, okay, there, I could go an entire month without spending anything. And mm. I was like, that's kind of interesting. You know, mm. even if something was like, I was like, oh, that looks nice. I would have no desire to buy it. Cause I didn't have a need to buy it, you know, mm. like, and so then it was like, okay, is it that I need these particular things like because of their function or is it because it's serving another purpose for me? Yeah. Right. And with that piece of like money being above, mm-hmm. I'm curious now, like looking back at it now with the eyes you have now, what do you think that was about? Why was it uncomfortable to have money above a certain amount? Because money above a certain amount is for me, it was like, okay, this is good and this is safe. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have a certain amount of money above, like it's safe and you can dream and you can want more and you can expand, right? Because you have all these things, but that comes with risk that something's going to, there's also this thing in the back of your mind is something, something's going to take that. And then you're just going to kind of fall and there's no neck, you know, when you have more of a resource, you're more likely to kind of stretch out and to try and look for other things, you know, but if you're kind of hoarding that, you're not going to do it. And so I think that I would consistently try to find sabotage and say, okay, I'm not going to have this money because I'm not going to kind of go out and actually try to make more money. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to try, like, I don't want to have more money. I would have these thoughts of if I had more money, then that would, there's something bad that happens to me or somebody's right. going to take this or it's going to mm-hmm. change me or having money is bad. I wasn't realizing that I was keeping myself in this really, you know, crappy pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Like in a way, were you keeping yourself small? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm wondering, Kim, like as you started to become aware of these things and decided you wanted to change Mm -hmm. and work on your, your finances, your relationship with money, what were the fears that came up about that? The fear was a lot of shame, you know, or a lot of like, I should have done this before, or if I had done X, Y, and Z, I wouldn't be in this particular position. And then 
also I would have to be honest about how much I was making, mm. how I was collecting money from like my clients um, when I wasn't collecting money, because <laughs> yes. another part of the reason why I would have like these overdraft fees and all this is because I would not collect no-show fees and late cancellation fees from my clients because I would mm. feel terrible about it because I'm like it's around the holidays they and then they they're going on vacation yes yes they are I was like they're living (laughs) their best lives you know and I'm like oh my gosh like I have to pay my office rent so I, I I knew that if I actually looked at my bank account I would see how much it was and I would every time I opened my bank account anyway I would just be like kind of crack myself for it let me see a negative. Let me see. And I would just feel really bad about myself. So I conditioned myself to like not looking at my bank account unless they absolutely had to. And so I knew that if I was going to start actually working on my money stuff that I actually had to look at it. I had to really look at what I was spending in changing those habits, even if they were comforting for me. So it does, it stirs up a lot of shame. It stirs up a lot of fear, but the bigger thing is also, it stirs up this drive to do more and Mm -hmm. and to make more money. And that was really what Mm -hmm. I was afraid of. Like I was afraid of working hard to make the money, but I was really afraid of all the other things that you need to do to make money, which is raise your rates collect, have difficult conversations with people. That was what I was struggling with. Right. I mean, to connect it back to what you said earlier about Mm -hmm. like, in a way you were keeping yourself small, making more money means you have to like take up space. You have to say like, I deserve a good rate for my expertise. This is the agreement we have and you didn't show up, which means you owe me X amount cancellation fee. You have to really like be, be there, be present. Yeah. Like what you're describing, I think a lot of people experience when they start to look at their money is like, it's not comfortable. It kind of sucks, especially if there's stuff that you know is a problem. Like when you look at it, that stuff is there and then you have to face it and you have to face the shame and face, yeah, just looking at the consequences of, of your actions. So I'm wondering for you now, Kim, what's different about your life now because of that work that you did and because of the fact that you did look at it push through the shame, make these changes? I think I probably, I looked at my, actually looked at my bookkeeping system because mm. I have bookkeeping yeah, you system do. now. So I look at that from when we actually worked together, like January, 2020. And I think I had me like, I don't know. I felt really good about myself. I made like $4,000 that month. Mm-hmm. And we're not at the end now. And like, I've taken weeks off and I probably need like double that. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to make 10,000 this month. Right. So, and, and I'm like, that was cool. <laughs> that was cool. That's an understatement. But I was like, that was cool. And I didn't have overdraft fees. I think that's a big thing. It was, there were no overdraft fees. So, you know, before, yeah, I can make 4,000, but again, I'm making like 3,000 or, you know, 3,500 because I'm paying all this money in fees. Whereas mm-hmm. now I'm like, you know, I actually have that money. I mean, it's yeah, great yeah. to write it off on yes. my taxes, yes. <laughs> but, but I would have liked it to actually yes, help. It's not a strategy else. to save money. Money being gone doesn't mean you save money on taxes. Not savings, y'all. No. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm hearing like part of you of, of getting more of a handle on your money and like being present with it is you have more, like yeah. you're making more Yeah, or I'm, doing the same amount of work. Are you working more now than you used to? I'm actually probably make, I'm working. I'm probably working the same amount. Yeah. Honestly, I'm working the same amount and I have, you know, association on Uber part-time. 
Um, and I feel comfortable with like letting them gradually build their caseload. Mm-hmm. So I've tripled what my take home is because I actually was really clear about what I actually was taking home. I have a plan for growth, which makes sense. It opened me up to actually start to do the parent coaching things and actually plan mm-hmm. those other things to like join masterminds and to do all these other things that I was, you know, saying that I didn't have any money to do. I would never be able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself, seeing yourself now doing all these other things that you never could have done before? I mean, that I'm actually a business owner and like, I'm not playing therapy. And I've always known that I've been a good clinician, but this is, you know, it's a difference in that, you know, I actually have a viable business and then, you know, I go into banks, open up a bank account and they're like, oh, this is, good. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, I don't feel like this is a lot, but they're like, this is good. Like Mm -hmm. they see like your company has grown, you know, for the past like two years. And it's like your revenue is like, you know, consistently quadrupled. So like, that's huge. And I wouldn't have had the energy or the desire to keep going had I not actually looked at where is all my energy being used? Am I actually maximizing my potential, which I Mm -hmm. definitely wasn't doing before? No. And something I hear in you too, as you're talking about your group practice growth as well, is like, mm-hmm. you seem calm about that. Like they can grow at their own pace. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I see people when they step into group practice, there's this like urgency, like you, I need you to, I need you to build your caseload and I need you to earn this much, right? Cause there's a void there that needs to be filled, right? There's like yeah. a, a need for revenue. And I'm hearing something very different in you, the way you're talking about yours. I definitely occasionally have that where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I'm running, you know, I'm running at a deficit. And my husband's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Again, because we sat through and we looked through all the stuff. Like I look at what my operating expenses are. They went back down, you know, and, and I was freaking out because they went up again. And then I was like, okay, but I'm in a transition in a business. So that's what it's going to be. Yes. And it'll go back down. And I have, you know, a target for what I need to do. And, and I have to come up with a plan with it for it. I mean, occasionally I do still look at that and say, oh, I need them too. But then I also think about, but I don't want just any client in our practice. Like that's, I don't, you know, I'm not taking money out of desperation. I'm mm-hmm. not setting them up to do that. And I have a bigger, a bigger plan and we'll be okay. Yeah. So how do you think about money now? I think of money as a tool. The emotion is, I look at my bank account like every day now, which I never did. I look at it basically just be like, um, what's the day? This is what I'm expecting to be in there. Okay, that's what's in there. I'm okay. I'm good. Huh? This thing right here is off. And and Mm -hmm. I looked through it today and I was like, okay, this seems off. And, you know, I had those initial twinges of like really beating myself up again. Like I mismanaged this. And then I looked through and I'm like, okay, well then obviously what I need to do is then reset a date to like look at things. Like instead of it being the shame spiral, it was like, okay, well, what am I going to do about this? Like I need to be on top of like what exactly is coming out. And then make a plan. How do I pay this? I'm going to break this into an installment. I'm going to talk to this person about this. How much am I paying for payroll? And like really looking at it that way instead of my life is over. And I say that very quickly to my husband who looks at me and says, okay. And then I go on and I figure out what I'm going to do. Like it still has to come out. A little twinge of my life is over. Yeah. My life is over. And he's like, I need you to center yourself. (laughs) That's a therapist husband phrase right there. <laughs> Do you need me to call you back so you can center yourself? And then we can talk. 
Right. So money being a tool then, like it sounds like there's this neutrality to that. Like it's information, you use it to do things. What else does that mean for you when you say money is a tool? If I don't have it, it's not like, oh my God, I don't have this. I'm a bad person or I'm not worthy of something. It's literally like, okay, if you're trying, if you need to dig out of a hole and your shovel isn't there, you would kind of panic. It would be the, the normal thing. It doesn't yeah. mean like, oh my God, you aren't deserving of a shovel. It means like, <laughs> I need a shovel. <laughs> Where's my shovel? This is really hard to dig with my hands. How do yes. I get a shovel? Right. Mm. And then it, it also is in, okay, well, what is it that's keeping me from getting a shovel? Is it like this a-hole over here who's saying you can't get a shovel? Right. Is it because you lost it? Is it because you misplaced it? Mm-hmm. Do you need, did it break? Do you, and then what are your mm. strategies to get it? Right? right. So I look at it, that it literally is a tool. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it's for. That's what it was created. And there are all these other emotions that are, are tied to it. And oftentimes that's kind of intentional. And it's because of people who have more money. Right. Like the system is set up mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. And in terms of how the system is set up, something that you mentioned before is like that it's set up to to make us feel scarcity. Mm-hmm. Tell me more yeah. more about what you mean by that. There's always this message that there isn't enough. And I know, and this is just for me, you know, as, you know, a Black woman, like, and I'm in the U.S., that the system is set in a way that I am not meant to be successful. Yeah. It just is. I'm just not meant to be successful. So, you know, when we look at, like, and in my viewpoint of all these isms, you know, classism and racism is really like kind of set into this idea of scarcity, that there are only a certain amount of people who can have something. And so it's much easier to pit people against each other when we're all like fighting for a particular resource that has artificial scarcity placed upon it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, if we're all like fighting and we're spending all this money on diamonds, but no one's saying how many diamonds are really out here, right? Let's be real. It's that thing, like, oh my gosh, there are only so many people who can have power. There's only so many people who have it can have money. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's not true. It's mm-hmm. really not. So that's what I, I think of when I say, you know, that this is like kind of, kind of a system that is designed to make you believe that and it's not to your benefit. Now, a lot of people can think it sounds really woo-woo to say, if you kind of think about it, you will actually, you know, have abundance. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's part of it. It's also saying, no, there's a dude over there who probably has like a billion of something and he yes. doesn't need all of them. No. Right. So that's yours for the taking. Yes. Right. Yes. They're not even going to miss that. No, absolutely not. Yeah. (laughs) No, really not. And in terms of like systemically, I think you're absolutely correct. And I think something that I think about sometimes is like how much is actually required to like really experience abundance, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is a certain amount, a system that's designed to push wealth to the top. Mm -hmm. And there's people at the top who have an amount of wealth that is unfathomable and really at this point is not improving their life at all. Whether you have $10 billion or $500 billion, your life can't really get better. You've peaked. Any dissatisfaction you have is spiritual, mental health relationship, right? But the difference that moving yourself from 40,000 a year to $200,000 a year for the rest of us is massive Massive. in terms of what that means for your life and what you can do for your community and how you can Mm -hmm. empower initiatives around you. And like the change that you can make with that money is huge. I think especially in, in therapy and health professions where we also have that additional layer of being 
uh, caretakers, yeah. empathetic people. We really buy into that story. Uh, I think it's trained into us to think that we are not entitled to ask for anything above survival. Yeah. And the thing is, I was watching something. It was like on Channel 4. It was like a clip and it was like, you know, it was like poverty or during uh, lockdown or something. And it was like, it just showed like this, this family and and they were really poor. (laughs) And I'm like looking at it and like a lot of the things I could kind of relate to as a kid. And it was just like this twinge. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty for like minding all these other things when this kid and his like family are like struggling. And then I was like, no, like, because like, and then at the end, he's like, I want to get out of poverty. And I'm like, yeah. So how is me being impoverished <laughs> helping him mm-hmm. to get out? You know, yeah. there's a difference. It's like, yes, if I have abundance, you know, and if I have more then I'm sharing and making sure that, that he and his family or whomever can also get out of the same situation. Mm-hmm. But me being down there with them, isn't helpful, but that's like a, that's a thing that I constantly have to like challenge myself because there's a lot of shame about that. You know, a lot of times if we kind of do buy into this, you know, the system is that's especially white supremacy, that when you buy into it and you make it that you just hoard all your stuff. And this mm-hmm. is like, okay, well, you should have done what I did to mm-hmm. do that. And when you're growing up and you don't have a lot, you kind of like, you know, bore anyone who is like that or has money, because that's really typically what you encounter is people who are spending, who are giving all these judgments about money. So yeah, you kind of say, okay, well, I'm going to be successful, but I'm not going to be rich, you know, because rich has like a very bad connotation, right? Yeah. Or some people are like, I want to be rich, like I want to floss on everybody. Yeah. I want like, <laughs> like, right. yeah, to be like, shoe pores because right. that's yeah. what they want to do. Yeah. Um, well, but, it's like, I want to win so other people lose and I exactly. can be on that side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in that respect, I'm like, you still aren't winning, but I don't have to play that game. And I think that's the thing in this whole year and some change that I realized that that's not the only way to be wealthy, hoarding all this money and like having all this and looking down on people and throwing out a couple of ducats here and there to make yourself Mm -hmm. feel better, that there are other ways. Yeah. Another piece that you mentioned earlier that I want to go back to is, you know, with money being a tool, and and I hear that what you're saying now too, like we can choose to use it. Like when we build more money, so we're not hand to mouth and we're not in survival mode, we can choose to use that money in all sorts of ways, right? To make to make the world around us better. But also when you talk about money being a tool and like not having money, something you said that stuck out is like, if you look at your bank account and you're like, oh shoot, the money's not there that's supposed to be there. It doesn't say anything about you and your value. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I look at it and I, I've learned that you're going to run a business and you're going to fail. And so like this week, I fail to remember that something comes out like mm-hmm. once a month. And that's a system fail, right? And so it's not mm. necessarily, yeah, I mean, it's like probably, it's definitely human error, but it's also like, no, that was, I, I need to check that. Not, oh my gosh, like I just screwed up this other thing about like, and I'm never going to be able to like make money, which is not true because I need that money. <laughs> I need that money back today. Right. So yeah, it literally is like, I look at something and I'm like, okay, I just need to figure out how do I fix the system? How do I mm. get more of this? resource to keep me running, right? If I like burn through all my gas, I'm not going to be mad at myself about it. I'm going to be like, how am I going to get some more gas? Like I got to get the gas. Yeah. Yeah, If you run out of food, you got to get, I should get more food. Will I be upset that my child literally ate a whole bag of bagels in two days? (laughs) 
Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm going to just still go and get. That sounded like a real life example right it's there. like a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I got some carb hounds over here. <laughs> and once I kind of detached myself from that, I mm-hmm. felt, you know, and also didn't feel as bad about more money coming in because that was the other thing. I was feeling really bad about more money coming in, really guilty about some of my colleagues who weren't doing as well in private practice because mm-hmm. um, that pops up. And they're like, oh, you know, or you constantly get the, I'm not in this for the money. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I am. So like, <laughs> there's no reason because I could just be, you know, making a salary somewhere and mm-hmm. be miserable. It's this sanctimonious, like, I'm not doing this because of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, or therapy should be whatever. It should mm-hmm. be free or these things should be free. And mm-hmm. and it's the, the same people who say those things also have a salary. So it's like. <laughs> you have a set salary. Mm -hmm. So you have money, like you have something guaranteed that's coming in, you have an an income stream, but it's a judgment of you shouldn't want more than that. Mm -hmm. Because you wanting more than that takes away from people who can't afford what you're providing. Yeah. And it was one of those things where once I realized that if I raise my rate, then all these like (laughs) pro bono charity things that I was doing, I could actually afford to do them like legitimately afford to do them. Instead of sitting here and and starting to feel resentful because people weren't paying me or I'm reducing or sliding your fee. So instead of it, me running a charity, which charities get grants, they need to make money. They get grants. My grant writing is collecting my no-show fees. Let me do that. But yeah, so it's fighting through all that, fighting through other people's opinions about, you know, making money, um, the message that we get consistently about the fact that we shouldn't be in it for the money, that we shouldn't even look at this. You shouldn't even try to increase your revenue. You should just Mm -hmm. be so happy about this. Or I should, you shouldn't be resentful for making a little bit of money. Like, oh, I do this, so I feel fine. It's like, that's great. But we also have to realize that not everyone has a partner or a spouse at home who has that income that's coming in to stabilize. And not everyone has the bandwidth or the ability to work another job and to do multiple things to do that. Or some people, seriously, I like to drive, drive a nice car. I'm a social worker. I've spent years driving really crappy cars. I like my nice car. Yes. So those things that yes. keep me you know, happy. Like well, something that, that occurs to me, and this is kind of like a... A response that just popped into my brain when you said like therapy should be free. When I hear that, I think, yeah, therapy should be free and therapists should get paid like doctors. So if you want to value the work that we do at the impact it actually has, then set up a a public healthcare system, which we have in Canada Mm -hmm. and doctors here are free. The consumer, we don't pay for them, the the patient, but they get paid really well by the government as they should because they're dealing with life and death situations as are we. Right. And so I think there's that piece there, like what's not said is like therapy should be free. And also we should just struggle and suffer because we're doing it out of the good of our hearts, which is just keeping us small, just stay small. That's what I hear over and over. Stay small. And also when we're looking at particular fields that are dominated by women is Mm -hmm. that, you know, oh, well, this is just like charity work, or this is just some busy work. Like you don't really need to make any money. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no value to that. Or thinking about the fact that in our fields, a lot of times to be able to get like these post bachelor degrees, that's a lot of money and time and privilege to be able to do those things. And Mm -hmm. so those are different classes. Those Mm -hmm. are different. Like 
And so we're not really thinking about the fact that like you have the resources to be able to do that. If we really care about diversity, if we really care about inclusion, then we have to also understand it in order for us to have a more diverse population of providers, then we need to be able to like increase what the pay is. And even with entrepreneurs is that we should do this. I mean, I know that I was looking at the stat for in the States. It was a stat in the States that basically said out of psychotherapists and chiropractors or something that there were about like 80 something percent, like high 80s that were like white. There was maybe three or four percent that were like Hispanic, Latino, two percent that were like black, one percent who were Asian. And there was like zero point whatever percent of indigenous therapists. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're looking at what the actual population is and we're looking at, you know, the fact that there's lack of representation. And one of the big reasons for that Mm -hmm. is because of the gatekeeping to actually have access to education to provide that. Mm -hmm. And then also the incentive to actually go into these professions that are typically low paying because everyone wears this mantle of I'm not in it for the money. But the people who are able to say I'm not in it for the money Mm -hmm. literally have another way to live and survive. Yes, they right? probably have generational wealth that they Absolutely. can lean on. Yeah. They can drive into these impoverished areas or work with, you know, the less fortunate, and then they go home. Mm-hmm. Call, notice drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have cars. They yes. have access to, to these things. Yeah. It, it was the, those are the things that like once I like really started looking at it and recognizing like just my privilege in itself, the fact that I'm educated and I have access to that, like I have access to business advice because I have relatives that are successful in business and really being okay with that, acknowledging what it is and then saying, yes, this is the privilege and I'm going to make the best use of it. Mm-hmm. So that I can then help myself and I can help other people. Yes. Um, and I can be an example that you can actually be successful. You know, even if I'm not necessarily like Mother Teresa and like shelling out a whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> me actually being out here and being vocal and being present and, mm-hmm. you know, mentoring and helping other people shows like you can charge your work, you can be successful. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like absolutely huge. Yeah. And and in that, I'm kind of hearing you're taking that tool that you have, mm-hmm. right? And and using it intentionally, right? And like setting an example, taking up space in a way that the system is designed against. Right. It's not what it wants you to do. So Kim, for other people who are thinking about doing what you've done and like improving the relationship with money and like looking at it and like, you know, I'm hearing there's kind of two stages to what you've done, right? There's uh-huh. the practical skills, but then also there's this mindset work that you've done, right? So yeah. people who are knowing that maybe they need to do this, what advice would you give them about stepping into doing that work? I think the first thing would be to be kind to yourself. Know that there are a lot more people out here who have money issues than you think. And a lot of us dress very well and drive very nice cars. (laughs) (laughs) We look really good on the outside because we're masking all this other stuff. And, you know, so that we all kind of have our own struggles um, and that one of the things that would say is that be kind to yourself, be honest about your situation. If you're like, well, I'm really struggling with money, just be honest with it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful in business. It just means that that is just something that you're going to have to learn. That's not something that you're born with. Wealthy people teach their children. If their children actually know, wealthy people teach their kids about money. That's what they do. 
and it's a it's a skill literally it's a skill and that you have to you have to practice it mm-hmm. and sometimes you're going to feel really embarrassed and that's okay great okay. so kim what offers do you have what are you doing right now um, that our listeners who might want to work more with you could be interested in well if you're in the philadelphia area i have two amazing clinicians who are taking new clients um, we're actually running a bunch of groups. So I'm running child anxiety groups, parenting group, a parenting talk therapy group. I'm running a group for transracial adoptee teens. I'm also offering a six-week coaching cohort for parents on my Ask ML parent coaching firm. And where can people find you and follow you? So the best way to preach me would be through social media. So I have two. On Instagram, it's at Amel Therapy, A-M-E-L-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y, and AskAmel, A-S-K-A-M-E-L.co. Also, my website, www.ameltherapy.com. Great. And we'll put those in the show notes so people can check you out there. Thank you so much, Kim, for coming on today and sharing about your own changes around money um, and some of these juicy ideas and like thoughts that you shared with us today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. re-listening to this conversation I had with Kim now a few months later as we're putting together this episode I was struck by how inspiring she is you know the work that she's done how she's worked hard the ways that she is taking up space now and working to take up more space and challenging narratives around therapists and wealth and race just such a transformation that I've seen in Kim in the time that I've known her and At the time of our recording, I don't think she was doing this work, but I will also say that Kim is now also doing some coaching um, with Alison Perrier at Abundance Practice Building and Abundance Party. So if you were inspired and if you felt connection with Kim, I know she's doing some coaching work over there. So you should definitely check that out over at Abundance Practice Building and the Abundance Party. So such interesting points that Kim made today, especially her metaphors I found around money being a tool. That's just such a neutral metaphor for money that she described so well in just thinking about money as a tool. It's just a neutral thing. If you don't have a tool, if you don't have a shovel, how can you get a shovel? It takes so much of the emotionality out of it. And as she shared, it doesn't mean she never has emotional moments around money. And it doesn't mean she never has scarcity or fear pop up. But she's really obviously connected to this grounded, practical way to relate to money that allows her to take action and keep moving. And she's taken so much action. If you would like to hear more from me, you can follow us on Instagram at money nuts and bolts. We are sharing practical and emotional money content on there all the time. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please jump over to Apple podcasts and leave me a review. It is the best way for other therapists to find me. Thank you so much for listening today.